I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversation, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. This is a very special episode that we are doing today. My guest is Wendy Oliver Pyatt, and Wendy is making a really big and beautiful announcement on this episode. So I'm really proud to have her on. I'm proud to have had her do it. And as I always say, let's just jump right in. Okay, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am overwhelmed, overjoyed, and honored to have my colleague and friend on our show today, Wendy Oliver Pyatt. Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's, it is more than my pleasure. It's, this is, this is just a a long time coming this episode. So, and, and we'll explain a little more why later. So Wendy, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Tell them what you're doing, who you are, things like that. Sure. Um, So my name is Wendy Oliver Pyatt. Um, I am a psychiatrist. I'm a mom, I'm a therapist, and I'm a founder of quite a few different treatment programs over the years, starting back in 2003. So that's what I've been doing for a while. You you have been working quite a bit since 2003 opening programs. And you know, you and I were talking right before the episode and I said this something I read about you that you you wrote is exactly why we connected. And this is what we're referring to when we're talking about recovered clinicians, dietitians, psychiatrists, MDs in the field. And everybody, as I always say, you do not have to have had lived experience to be a phenomenal professional in this field. And then there are the those of us that are, <laughs> and we we use it. And Wendy, what you wrote is that when somebody had recommended or it was recommended to you to open your first residential program and you thought, I can't do that, never been in treatment, don't know how to, I've never worked in a treatment center, what what do I have to bring to it? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. And then you said what I discovered was like my quote unquote weakness became my greatest gift because what you did was created treatment center modalities from the heart from you had no preconceived notions 
you created the way treatment would have been beneficial for you when you were struggling. That's how you and I connect, that heart space. Say a little bit about what what your modalities are like. What do you wish you had when you were in the eating disorder to help your recovery process? Things like that. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I I still remember, you know, just being in that place of thinking, you know, who am I to do this? Why would I start a residential treatment program? And I was really blessed with a strong friendship with somebody who just believed that I could do it. And he just encouraged me to do it. I, I do think that because I didn't have the preconceived notions or the pre, pre-planned plan, really, it, it did make it harder. And there definitely was a journey or has been a journey and a continued journey of figuring out processes and systems that like really um, help people recover. Um, but at the same time, the care that we developed from that very beginning back in 2003 was just very attuned care. So I think that is one of the the pivotal aspects of treatment that you really must have the time and the space and the staff um, and the heart to to really deeply understand and strive to deeply understand each and every individual who walks in the door. You You just can't skip over that attunement process. And that attunement and that connection is what allows you to make good treatment decisions, ultimately. Um, it allows you to find the patient or the client, you know, where they're at, what their internal battles are, and join with them with where they're at, and then help them take steps in the direction that is healing, that is touching, that is meaningful to them. Um, if we skip over that process of attunement, we, we really, really are cutting the treatment short. It reminds me a little bit of a dance. And in that, with that, I mean, you and I often try to meet people where they're at. We're, we're definitely, we, we individualize our treatment to who we're sitting with. Dance, though, also goes with there is still structure and guidelines and supports to help a client heal, especially in treatment center. And I think it's the integration of the two that has made your work so special. It's the way I was trained under Carolyn Costin, which is, yes, we have a program, there is structure, and within it, how can we meet the individual where they're at? So it's not like all rules go out the window. I don't know if you have anything to say to that. Absolutely, because um, I always use, I always say to the staff I've worked with, and I've been saying it for a very long time, it's love and boundaries. So the person struggling with the eating disorder is in many ways, you know, trapped in a state of fear and in a state of needing and fear of needing. In, in many respects. And so obviously we can be paralyzed by fear and that's in, in essence what, what our clients sometimes come to with an element of that. So absolutely there does need to be some guidelines and some markers to help a person like advance in their treatment experience. And, and it's through the connection and, and the love and the care that, that sort of fortifies the person 
to take those steps. But the the containment and the boundaries of the program allow a person to not just be frozen in that state of fear. There are expectations of treatment. And it is through those expectations, in a sense, we're also an expectation is really also a hope that you have for the patient. It's showing the person or the client that I believe you can do this. So it, it is also about anticipating the needs of the person, anticipating where they may struggle, but also at the same time, um, that expectation shows that you believe the person is capable of doing that. So those boundaries that you sometimes, we call them boundaries, they're, they're also, boundaries are also about hope and they're about care and they're about like helping the person move in a direction that's going to work to their advantage ultimately. Do you feel that when you were going through your recovery process, were there people that were holding hope for you? Were there people that gave the message that you'll never recover once you have an eating disorder, you'll always have like, what was the process like for you that had you internalize these messages to then treat in your own, in your own centers? Well, I was, it was kind of an interesting time because back when I was in college and, you know, before that, when I had an eating disorder, we didn't even know that, you know, we, we eating disorders weren't spoken about a lot. So we just, I thought like I was trying to be healthy. Just, I thought I was trying to be my best. I thought that was all the stuff that was my eating disorder in my mind was under the umbrella of like, I'm trying to be my best. Um, and so what ended up happening for me is my roommate actually started um, seeing a therapist and was introduced to Janine Roth's work, um, Breaking Free from Compulsive Eating and When Food is Love and that sort of thing. So she actually um, sort of started acting upon on the principles that you see within Janine Roth's work. I, I actually went to her house one time. She was my college roommate. She's my co-founder of Oliver Pyatt Center. I went to her house to visit her. Um, and I went to her house and she actually made pasta puttanesca and creme brulee. Part of her healing was getting into cooking. So she made these, this meal for me and I got there and I was sort of like, in my mind, you know, WTF, like what is going on here? This is, this is crazy time, but it was because she had embraced those principles. And so I didn't have like the benefit of like a treatment center experience, but I'm just, I consider myself really, really lucky that I was introduced to the principles of like Janine Roth and, and, you know, what we also call intuitive eating or mindful eating. I'm, I'm really fortunate that that's what I heard about at that part, at that time in my life, because if I had gotten into maybe some of the other, uh, if I had gotten into just the concepts of exchange systems or if I had gotten into principles maybe of Overeaters Anonymous or those kind of, if I had stumbled into that, I think I could have had a much worse outcome from my eating disorder. So it was really just seeing that, you know, seeing, seeing my friend go through her process, having met a therapist herself and being introduced to those principles. And then for me, it was a, a long road of trial and error of learning how to, you know, release myself from food rules and follow those principles. But that was what really, you know, that is what fuels my, my understanding about what's, what needs to happen in treatment, which is it's exposure therapy. And I really place a lot of value on the principles of exposure therapy. I would prefer 
when my I'm working with patients or clients, I prefer to start low, go slow as far as like the amount of food that I kind of encourage somebody to start eating. I prefer to go with diversity and make sure that people are eating really non-eating disordered food. So I really aim for a very wide variety because my own personal experience, I understand the importance of exposure therapy and learning how to eat those foods in a, in a way that ultimately you can be at peace eating them. It requires you to eat them, uh, those foods. So I'd rather go slow and focus on the diversity and, and help a person gradually accommodate to the changes of, that can be a part of the healing journey with regard to their body. I just go slow, but really believe in diversity of food um, in that process. I think there's something that I want to point out, and I I don't think you were lucky to fall into, shall we say, the concept of Janine Roth and, and intuitive eating and things like that. I think you were ready to to hear these messages, because by the way, there could have been many other messages that were that were healthy, that were being directed towards you or unhealthy. But if we're not ready, it's going to go right by us. You could have been exposed to it even prior to your roommate. And and you just, you weren't ready, so it didn't. So I don't think it's luck. I do think it's, I, I do think, I thank my lucky stars, actually, is what I want to say. I thank my lucky stars that people like you and people like me have fully recovered because it wasn't easy for us because I don't think treatment was accessible back then. We did it on our own. And so, and again, this is what you apply to your treatment programs, to all your centers. What were the quote unquote ingredients that worked for me or didn't work? You know, from trial and error of your own recovery process, you created a beautiful, a beautiful way of, of, of healing and working with people. I also say this all the time. You do not need to turn your eating disorder recovery into being a therapist or a psychiatrist or whatnot, but that's what we chose to do. I, I just, I just wanted to point that out. What is it like for you? I mean, the landscape is changing and this, this will be a lovely introduction. The landscape is changing in treatment and how have you changed with the times of the changing landscape? I'm going to say landscape one more time, everybody, because I like that word. How are how are you, Wendy, moving with the with the changes? <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, um, I've been cooking up some some things <laughs> during this whole pandemic. First of all, never say never, because I I I did get to a point a while back where I was like. I'm done. I'm, I'm just done doing things. I'm going to just hang out with my dogs and go watch my kids' basketball games. And that's what I'm going to do. You know, I need a little break. And uh, it just, it didn't take me too long doing that to, to get, start getting excited about maybe doing some other things. Um, and as you, as you know, Karen, that um, in the last year or so, I've been working on a couple of different projects uh, the project that I wanted to share with the listeners today, there's two projects. One is called Galen Hope, which is a, a program in Miami, Florida, where we offer partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient for eating disorders. 
and also a strong component of care partner um, relations, which we could talk about some other time. Um, and actually, today- oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know me, I'm an interrupter. Care partners, I want you to talk about more because I have clients that are at Galen Hope right now. I'm sending a shout out to one of them and I and she knows who she is. I know who she is. Shout I know out you know. her. <laughs> and the care partners have been pivotal in her process of helping her with things outside of regular treatment things. Why am I forgetting my words, everybody? But so <laughs> so talk about the care partners and the care partners are also going to be in the in the next thing you're going to talk about. So they're great. Yes, there's, I love our care partners. They're our anchor. Um, so my other project that I've been working on for about a year that we, we actually started working with patients back in um, June is a program that is called Within Health. And I'm just really excited that I get to sort of announce the, the birth of Within Health on your podcast. It means the world to me. You're on my advisory team for Within Health. And what um, I, I've just been beyond blessed to have um, joined with a gentleman who him, he himself has had his own personal struggles and has worked in um, other fields like helping people um, receive information about treatment having to do with addictions. He's been working on the marketing side and web development side of things for many years. Um, and he's just this very humane, kind, genius man that I ran and was able to run in, run into last year. And we, we developed Within Health as a virtual platform, platform for the treatment of eating disorders. So what we actually are offering is really the embodiment of of, of what we've been doing, you know, in brick, or mo- brick and mortar through the availability in the home and through the, the, um, the assistance of a, a specific app that we have. We have an app and it's called Within Health app and it's, it's how we access care. Um, the care that we're providing is a lot like a very high level PHP, IOP level of care, but it is intentionally virtual. So it's care that's provided to the person in their home with all of the therapy that you find available when you go to a a brick and mortar facility, which by the way, there will always be a reason for brick and mortar, Um, but with all the care that you have at a brick and mortar, and then a very high touch interaction again with the care partners who are helping individuals with really day-to-day life and how you actually move through the day while managing life, while managing food, while managing reality, um, which is something that doesn't happen when you're in a brick and mortar. It's hard to then figure out how to, to deal with reality. So the one of the principles or ideas behind, behind the, what I'm doing now is our treatment in the past has always been kind of very us centric, clinician centric, like come to us at our place, at our time, in our space. And we're going to like sprinkle our little fairy dust on you. And then you're going to go back into your world. And like, just because we're so great and everything we did was so awesome that you're going to just go back out into your world and just like all these great things are going to happen. Right. But in reality, in reality, life is life. And so we 
in principle now, I realize that we need to turn the direction of focus of care toward our patients, not just towards us, our offices and our buildings that we're in, but so that we can be in homes with our patients. And that's something that I discovered just working um, virtually with people over the time of the pandemic, like the value and the meaning of just being kind of virtually in a person's home and being able to um, see their room and what they have on their walls sometimes spoke volumes or um, being able to interact more freely perhaps with a family member that they could easily bring into a joint session. And I just started to realize the power of us reaching out and putting our, the focus of our care towards the patient's life. And that's what we're able to do with the use of our app within health. So it's a real integration of all of the care that you might receive in a PHP or IOP level care with the care partners also that are really working with people individually on the things that they struggle with in their home, um, doing exposure therapy with the patients through the use of the app in their home and having that all integrated together. Um, so it's been really fun. We started in June. Um, it's been really meaningful. I, I love the fact that through this program also, people who have, have no way of accessing care have been able to access care. We've had a woman who's a mother of a four-year-old who wouldn't have had the luxury of leaving treatment. We had a woman in a remote area of Nevada who had had a broken foot and she had BED and PTSD and was, you know, what she said, like over my dead body, am I going to a treatment center sitting across from a person with anorexia nervosa who's not eating? You know, she just felt uncomfortable in her body with that experience in a rural area with a broken foot. And we've been able to reach her. So we're able to reach, you know, every body and everywhere that people need help through this medium. I also want to point out, and, you know, when, when you asked me to be part of this and started explaining it to me, my level of excitement and passion just went through the roof because there's no stone left unturned and that's really important. And so and 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 I don't want listeners to think that like we're doing like a uh you know an advertisement but it's it's just it's so beautifully well thought out right down to meals are sent to clients homes so you don't have to worry about like if clients can't get to the market or if clients are putting all the appropriate ingredients in because sometimes on virtual they can say a meal has this component, but it doesn't always. So food is sent to them. A numberless scale is sent to them. I think what is most, well, I think for me, because I'm a clinician, is that outside clinicians can get little parts of the treatment team when they're talking about your individual clients so I can follow the client. And, and again, I'm not saying this as promoting, I'm just saying how much work goes into healing and it's, it's really, really well integrated because it does take a village. It takes the outside treatment team 
So to have them involved is incredible. It takes the medical piece of getting weights without the numbers so the client doesn't see it and their blood pressure and all that. All of this is sent to them. And that's that's really, really well thought out. And and again, this is how you think outside of the box, which which I think has always been a remarkable trait that you have. Thank you. I think I think the um the whole the whole process of getting to this point, I think the foundational part of it was like not, you know, not leaving anything off the table that the, the person needs. And you're speaking about the food. And and I feel that with you know, care in the home for people with eating disorders, when we're talking about, you know, a higher level of care, I can't expect somebody to be in a position that they're suffering to the point of needing, like, for example, a PHP level of care, and 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 I can't expect them to be able to manage the food on their own. That doesn't mean we're not going to work toward that. But I think that that sort of goes, goes without saying that we're going to need to be able to provide that support. And I think it's a shame for people to be in treatment and not be doing exposure therapy. I really believe that if we want people to have peace, a peaceful relationship with food, we do have to teach the principles of mindful eating, intuitive eating, and have really meaningful nutrition therapy, which also includes the exposure therapy. And when people come in the door, you were mentioning the blind weights, we do send out a care package that has... Um, the function of like a, a clear step type of thing where the person's um, weight is blind. We also check their vital signs. Um, we, just, we send that along also with a blanket to show that we want, it's a symbolic message of like holding, even though we're not together and, and the water bottle, which is a symbolic message of like nurturance and care. And um, so we send that out to patients and, and we're just really, really excited to be able to do that. I also think it's really interesting that, you and I, as we were just trying to get set up for this interview, needed Jen, my producer, to help us with all the technology because you and I know, we're, we're, I'm just saying, we just don't know how to do it. And it's powerful how much we as clinicians and psychiatrists have adapted to virtual. And it speaks to that piece you were talking about, which is seeing the client in their home. And I don't mean like in a voyeuristic way. I mean, like I, I have a client who I don't think I would have fully understood how chaotic the family system was because I'm working with her virtually. I can hear the chaos while we're trying to have a session, while I'm trying to help her be more mindful and, you know, bring her energy down. I can hear everybody yelling and siblings. And it is unbelievable what we are invited into. And I, I do think we're invited in. And you're right. I, I like the way you say it, which is we expect clients to come to us in a very controlled environment and do therapy and then say, now go out into the real world and live life. Yeah. I think that I, it goes back to that concept of the treatment refractory patient. And I say, are they treatment refractory or that have they just never really been treated? Like, I think we may look back sometime and think about the idea that we were just going to send people in and then send people out. And then like, voila, they were going to be better. I mean, a lot of people get unbelievably healed in higher levels of care. And I, I'm a fan of it. I've done it for years and I believe in it too. 
Um, but I think that there is a lot of information that you gain from working with a patient in a home. One of the one of the within health clients had, that has a a, a child. Um, it was interesting because the that child just kept sort of coming in the room and and you know being wanting to sort of be on the call with the mom, which makes a ton of sense. And we were able to see that the person's other support figure and the other adult in her home really just didn't know how to like manage that and how to support the person having, you know, 45 minutes of just alone time in her room. And it was just a very symbolic thing. It turned out to be just something that seems so small um, or even just doing, you know, other things that are real practical. Like one of the things that the care partners can do is help people with self-care implementation, um, you know, things that have to do with executive functioning sometimes and keeping things organized or just having the tools that you need in your kitchen in order to cook. And we have a cooking group. So it's like getting together and here's the foods that we're going to do. And this is what we're going to cook. And then we're going to eat it together and we're doing it, you know, in your home. But there's somebody, it's very care partner intensive though, because to help somebody do that in their home who has an eating disorder, of course, you have to have have a very skilled, loving person available to do that. I also, as you were talking about the the mother who was trying to do the session and the, the I'm going to say toddler, I don't know, toddler kept coming in. It's not only like you and I sort of think a little bit beyond that 45 minute session. Like, so if she can't even get 45 minutes, now we're understanding what it's like for her to get her meal plan together, exactly. to get snacks in time. Now we're understanding even greater because that 45 minute session just gave you a window into seeing what her entire day is like and how do you help them create a recovery i'm going to say routine when they've got a toddler who's a beautiful little soul who wants their mom wrapped around her mm-hmm. i do think that if we don't have access to what is really happening in the person's life it's a real void as far as like helping figure out what the person needs, even when they step down, you know, from a higher level of care. I know, you know, at my treatment centers, I've always said, you know, I don't want to just know that the person has, oh, great. They have their psychiatrist appointment. They have their dietitian appointment. They have their therapist appointment. That's great. I used to, I think our staff used to get a little pissed with me for this, but I would say, I want to see their whole week. What are they actually going to do every day? And I, I, you know, whether it's, you know, doing pottery or whether it's maybe doing yoga or whatever it is, but those other quote unquote extracurricular, you know, avenues to meaning and connection and purpose and fun, you know, and, and reduce loneliness, those, those aspects of care are just as important as the psychiatrist or therapist appointment. And one thing I love about the platform of working with somebody through the Within Health app is that we really get to zero in on like those other, you know, aspects of the person's life. The other thing that's kind of cool, the two things about it that I'm finding really that I enjoy a lot, you mentioned it um, a little bit, is that if somebody has a therapist, you know, wherever they're at, and that therapist wants to be included in the treatment program and as a part of the treatment team, we can actually incorporate that person into our Within Health team 
And through our app, the person can just follow and track everything and do their sessions and get updates from the team and interact with all the other team members and the care partner. And just, we basically can wrap our services around that individual provider. There's a lot of providers out there are just super alienated. They're trying, they're in, in Montana and there's no nutritionist there. Um, and the person needs an IOP level of care. We can keep the therapist working with the patient and wrap around the whole complement, you know, of the team. And I, and I just, I love, I love being able to do that and getting to know those, those clinical folks. I love it because as someone who's been a clinical director at a residential program, I understand how, how valuable it is for outside professionals to be involved in their clients' weekly care. I want to go back, though, to something that, that I think is important to talk about because it was the most difficult for me. And this is when you were saying, I want to see what a client's doing for the week, not just their psychiatrist appointment. Because Wendy, when I was in my eating disorder, I was good at a few things. My eating disorder, getting to my therapist, I'm pausing because I think that's it. Like literally, like I was not good. M part of my eating disorder is that I didn't understand how to navigate life. I would look at peers my age and be like, how do you do it? How do you have a partner? How do you go out and have fun? How do you, how do you hang? Like, I just didn't get it. So it is a critical part that if we miss that, we're still sending the client back out to this enormous void called life. Yes. And that is where relapse can, can lurk around the corner and say, you know what? Recovery is not that great. You're still bored, lonely, have no friends, no interest. So I love how important it is to integrate their whole life into, into treatment. It's, it's, it's critical. And I think that's, again, where we come back to the idea of like treatment refractory or not treated because, um, you know, in addition to the many other things that we so often see, for example, weight stigma and trauma um, and just many other confounding variables that sometimes get missed, but the, the piece of the loneliness and the, the, the fact that, you know, just recovery doesn't equal happiness. Recovery is not a guarantee that everything is going to be going great in your life. I was just speaking with a woman in Colombia who had been in a higher level of care and now is back in Colombia. And she was like, I'm lonely. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not really happy. You know, I thought I was going to be, everybody said when I was going to go through recovery, I was going to be happy. And I was like, actually, like getting over your eating disorder is about the fact that it's, it's life, right? And you're not, you're not responding to it, you know, with your eating disorder, but surely like the more, the more we can like help build up that meaning and purpose and connections, help people find their authentic self and have authentic connections, the, 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 the way, the better the outcome, the better, the better quality of life at the end of the day, the better quality of life. That's what really matters. I, I am so happy when some of our within health patients have said to me that they're also connecting with each other and they're forming. That's one of the things about treatment that is so important, the milieu and, and how can you create those connections and those meanings within the milieu. And I've been, been seeing that happen with, with our clients and we, since we've opened and we have, you know, I mentioned 
the person in Nevada, the, the, the person in South Carolina, and they, we have a little thing called the living room. So they can go on during some downtime and actually just interact with one of our care partners and sort of just have a little check-in, have a little conversation, what's going on. And I, I, I believe it'll be, some of these connections will be, you know, sustaining connections for the, hopefully the duration of the person's life. The other thing I wanted to mention that's kind of cool about doing um, in-home virtual care for eating disorders with, with within health is that we can actually we can actually wrap our care around the parts of the person's day that's working well for them. So for example, let's say we have somebody at the IOP kind of needing a IOP level of care and they have a, a job situation that's maybe a positive for them. We can actually build treatment around their schedule. We can have them maybe do lunch in a group, you know, maybe 11 to one, and then they can do their work, or whatever, and come and do an evening group, for example, just, or, or even a PHP level, a person can do a group in a meal in the morning, maybe an afternoon lunch, and then a group or two in the evening, or, you know, individual session can be plugged in, you know, along the, along the way. So the, the number of hours the person's like experienced treatment doesn't just have to be, you're just sitting there in front of a computer. Um, you're going back and forth in your life. And also the care partners are doing, doing things with our folks in their community, in their homes. So that treatment, again, is not just about sitting there and talking to somebody. It's about what we call experiential opportunities. You find that there are challenges doing it virtually? Yes. Like, I mean, can we sort of turn this for a minute? And I'm I'm curious, like what challenges are coming up? I know for me, one of the challenges that I had to learn how to navigate through is only seeing somebody from the head up. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I both know eating disorders are not based solely around weight. We both know that. And there are some in there. It is part of a diagnosis. And so there are times when I don't see a client's body until the parents say, hey, we got to get them into treatment. And I'm thinking, what's going on? I didn't. So I don't, what are some of the challenges that you've come up with? Well, I mean, I think that the main challenges that we've come up with, um, one of them is with movement, you know, because we do do yoga and movement groups. And I always want to make sure that our level of movement is, you know, tied with what's clinically appropriate. And so helping somebody be sure that they're not either doing too much movement outside of programming or within our movement programs, like being sure that we're really holding them in a way that is really protecting their body and helping them stay peaceful and gentle with their body. So that's one area. And then we've really had to get very creative with how we actually do our meal support, because obviously an eating disorder is a a situation where the person is going to understandably have a lot of fears around doing the exposure therapy and eating the foods that are necessary in order for them to actually heal. So we've act, really come up with some creative ways to do it. And I, I mean, one thing is just, again, having the food brought in so that the person can just sort of take that off their, you know, worry list that, hey, we're going to manage the food temporarily. And like, hopefully they can hand us that trust and allow us that process. But what we do now with some of our patients or clients is before we actually eat, we'll have a one-on-one time with a care partner so they can actually help them sort of figure out the food and get it on the plate and make sure the person's 
um, getting the support they need, you know, before the actual meal, because obviously once they're in the meal, they're in more of a group situation. So we, for some clients, provide that additional level of support before the meal and after the meal. And we also have um, kind of like an urgent support button where a person can literally push a button on the app and a message literally goes out to the entire care team. And then, you know, we are all there for the person. So being able to provide that support in between things, those things, the, the, the movement and the meals, like that's where the things can come up the most that we just have to really be on top of that. I think it goes back to the relationship. It's the quality of our relationship with the clients that's going to allow us to do this work. That's what gives us permission to get that detailed into their life that we're saying, hey, can we please be invited to check out your food before you eat? And then, okay, there's the peanut butter that does need to go with apple, not just the apple. And really, that's actually something one of our care partners picked up on with one of our clients recently. But you have to have a foundation of a relationship with somebody. I think you ought to before you kind of, we, we are lovingly intrusive, I guess you could say. And so we have to build, build that. I think, I think an issue that comes up that I'm encountering is that because we're not just like, you know, the person's not just like landing in our door with us 24 seven or whatever, right, right in front of us. Sometimes that trust that it takes to hand us the keys, if you will, with the food to say, we're going to help, we're going to help you manage the food. Sometimes that process, um, we're not right there with them. It takes a little time for the patient to become attached enough and secure enough in the relationship with us to allow us to be as intrusive as we need to be. And so I think in a virtual setting, you know, when that first happens and you see somebody possibly missing meals or avoiding certain part of the meal plan or whatever, you know, it's about building the relationship and helping the staff understand what's happening. Like we're in that process right now, you know, helping the staff see we're building a relationship with the person right now. So they're, they're, they're not at a point of trusting us enough to totally hand, hand us the keys and understanding, you know, our target, yes, ultimately might be X, Y, or Z, but right now we just have to focus on building our connection and being a safe place so that our relationship can, can provide all those other, um, modalities of care that need to be delivered. I think that goes with every part of a, of a client sitting in front of us. Like it's not just about the food or the exercise or are they doing things offline that we can't see? Because the reality is, is what we're asking a client to do is show their vulnerabilities and dig deep into the vulnerabilities that the eating disorder has protected them from for so long. So these are things that happen, whether you're face-to-face in the office, it's in a residential, it's on virtual, it's, we're asking people to to be uncomfortable and, and, and to trust that we're here to help them through it and hold it. And that there is a reason for the discomfort because eventually, like you and I did, they will come out the other side and, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was really uncomfortable in my recovery process and it took me a really long time. And I went back and forth as we always talk about, never, not a linear process. For sure. But I think for some of the people that I've met working virtually with them, 
just the, the actual reality of being able to get care in their home is so personally meaningful to them that it's helping them scoop up more of that intention and that, that, that energy, you know, I say it's work, work is mental or physical energy directed toward a goal. So it's helping them to, to find that energy to do this work because they, they want to be able to stay in the home. They don't want to have to feel that like cut off from their life. So we are able to harness that a little bit more because they, they know like we need that from them in order to do the work in their home. And I encourage them and I say, I really, really need you because I really, I'm not there with you. You know, I need, I need you to really join me right now. Um, but they're really motivated. Many of them are really motivated to be able to stay at home. And that's, I, I, I have a client. I have another shout out. I have a lot of clients that, you, that you're working with who that is her main goal at this point is to stay at home. She wants her family. I also want to say if medically somebody is not stable, then it's okay. It's not the option at the moment. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm a psychiatrist and medical doctor, so I'm always like very, you know, involved in the medical clearance process. And I like to work with people and be creative. They have treatment teams we can really count on. I'm not a, I'm not like a rigid person, but absolutely people have to be medically stable. And, and then that can be part of the journey also is just realizing you're not medically stable enough for this. So we need to address that in a, in a real, in a real way. Wendy, I adore you so much. I can't, I can't even tell you. I mean, you know, because, you know, you and I sit and have our coffee in the morning over the phone, 8 a.m. chit-chatting <laughs> about life and and recovery and all this good stuff, but we are going to have to come to an end. And before I ask your final question, is there anything you want to share with listeners, anything that I didn't ask you or you feel like you want to say? Well, I just wanted to say you, you touched on this a little bit, Karen, about your own journey. And I wanted everybody to know that's listening that I once really thought there would be no way I would ever have a peaceful relationship with food. I thought that was actually crazy to think that. I once told my roommate, you know, I got mad at her and I said, when she brought home just groceries and I kind of yelled at her and I said, I see no reason to have bread in this house. And I was terrified of having food around me. And I just want people to know that it is not bullshit that full recovery of is possible. And even if you can't fully recover, some people struggle for longer than others, but healing is possible. Um, and that, you know, it does require again, that work and that, you know, it's important to be discriminating about like where you're going for care. Um, and it is, you know, I, it is, it is important to do the exposure therapy and to actually feel the discomfort that you mentioned. And so I just wanted to put those things out there, um, for everybody to just hear from me on. Um, I really did not ever think I would be recovered from having an eating disorder. I never in my wildest dreams thought anything like what I'm doing now with Within Health or with Galen Hope would ever happen. So it's really about that mindfulness, about taking steps each day to be connected to yourself and taking the steps of self-care, like on a day-by-day -day basis that you may not know where you'll end up, but if you're doing that on a day-to-day -day basis, that's kind of like what I did. And then I like 
I ended up where I needed to be. So you can tolerate the uncertainty by being true to yourself and principles of authentic connection to yourself and mindful living each day as much as you possibly can. And, and that will take you down the path that, that is really tied to your authentic self. Beautifully said. I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. So Wendy, before I let you go, though, I do have to ask your final question, Ooh. which is, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? Oh, my gosh. Right? I'll just tell you the first thing that came to my mind. Go for it. Wendy, don't play. <laughs> there it is. You all heard it here first. <laughs> Wendy, don't play. There it is. Wendy, I love you. I, I respect you. I honor you. And I just thank you for doing this today. I really, I, I love and honor and respect you. And thank you to Jen for putting this all together. This has been something I've been looking forward to. And thank you for being the first place for me to announce the existence of Within Health and, you know, also Galen Hope. I, I appreciate your support of my work, Karen. Thank you very much. It's, it's more than a pleasure. So, all right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.